0: Welcome once again to the Grief Observed Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Morrell. I'll extend the invitation, as I always do, to be a guest on our podcast. So please contact me at griefobservedpodcast at gmail.com. Just describe a bit about yourself, the person that you lost, and your grieving journey, and we'll try to get you on the show. So today marks the 12th episode of the Grief Observed Podcast, But today's a bit different in the fact that I have a guest who has been here before. Um, There was a great response to her first episode with me, and uh, we just could not cram everything into one episode, and I didn't want to. I didn't want to rush through it, so we brought her back. And I must say, if you've not listened to episode 10 yet, stop this and come back to that episode, uh, and after you've listened to it, then you can pick up from here. But Episode 10 was my friend, Marsha, who is also a therapist. Uh, She spoke about the loss of her stillborn daughter, Berkeley. So I'll stop talking and welcome back, Marsha, to the show. So Marsha, welcome. Welcome back.
1: Thank you so much. I'm excited to be back and to uh, talk about the two other women uh, in my life that passed away that were so special to me. Um, But first, I would love to just say, I have gotten so many, uh, feedback and reviews on the podcast, um, episode 10, and I am just so humbled and so blessed that it's helping people. So I'm hopefully, uh, we'll be able to continue to help people with this episode as well.
0: Yeah, definitely. And, you know, before we get started, why don't you just give a brief overview or recap of our last session and, um, that way, if if somebody doesn't have the time to go back, or maybe they'll go back later and listen, but maybe just kind of give us just a brief synopsis of that and and catch everybody up.
1: Yes, sure, I can do that. Um, my husband and I lost our daughter through stillborn uh, twelve years ago, and I talk about the journey and the process in episode ten, and how I grieved. And so there is a sequence that we're doing. And with her being 12 years um, ago, my processing was very different. I isolated. I did not allow people into my infertility journey to my loss of my daughter. And so today I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, two years ago. So it was a 10 year span from my daughter to the two deaths that I'll talk about today. And how I handled them differently and Mm -hmm. how I grew with my emotional regulation and my emotional intelligence over the 10 year span. And what was amazing to me is to notice that when I was preparing for this podcast and writing my notes so I could stay on track, <laughs> I started to see what a big difference of how I processed it, how I leaned into it and how I became more vulnerable mm. with people and opening up and the difference in my grief of my healing process went faster the second go around. So,
0: yeah, you speak of, of the word vulnerable and Um, I used that once with a male client and uh, he didn't like that order too well. So it's like uh, transparent, maybe vulnerable. You know, I I think it's good though. It's vulnerable does not mean weakness. So I definitely want to state that. So it's good that uh, you have become more vulnerable because um, you're actually letting people kind of behind the curtain a little bit to see what is Marsha made of? So I don't know. That's great.
1: Yes. Thank you so much. And I think I'm still figuring that out. What am I made of? What, and these challenges in my life are certainly they build. And that's what I'm going to talk about today is I really feel the miscarriages I had, the death of my daughter, um, as well as these two women that I'll talk about today it really was stepping stones with my coping mechanism and my coping skills and as well as age and life, just, you know, maturity. Um, but it really assisted me with how I handled it. So um, the first individual that I would like to talk about is my grandmother. And she passed away in, at the end of September of 2021. And the second person I will be talking about is my mother, who passed away two weeks to the day of my grandmother. And she passed away on October 8th, 2021.
0: Now, your grandmother was your maternal grandmother, correct? Correct. Okay. Wow. Wow.
1: Yes. So to hear of my grandmother's passing, the matriarch of the family, she was a few days shy of 102. Wow. So yes, it was just, her whole life is just so amazing. And then to find out that my mom, who we were expecting to have the genes like her mother, to hopefully make it to a hundred as well. And to find out, that she got taken from us so early. Yes, it was 77, but when you have those genes and you just put her mother in the ground at almost 102, we had really good hopes for her living a lot longer life. And she was very healthy, um, no issues other than rheumatoid arthritis that we were aware of. So you can imagine the difference in the grief just between the two You know, having my grandmother lived a very long life and the last three months, give or take, we could see a decline. So we had the ability to see her decline, close any loops that we needed to close with her. Um, We got to see her live an extremely full life. And then my mom and my aunt uh, cared for her and were caregivers for nine years and they gave everything to their mother. And then my mom passed two weeks later. So, wow. yes. So I want to dive in into that so much. But, yes, um, it's certainly, as you can imagine, losing two females that were so important to me uh, within a two-week span was definitely uh, more than most people should be able to handle.
0: So forgive me, Marcia. Do you have siblings?
1: I do. You I do. have an older brother. Mm-hmm. Okay, yes,
0: I do. Okay. So, you know, in a very brief moment, and, and of course we'll we'll hop back and just uh get some more detail, but in, in within a two week span, you're kind of the matriarch of the family now, right?
1: In our immediate family, yes. Yes. Okay. I would say um now in the Extended family, I would say it will be my mom's sister. Oh, okay. uh, my aunt okay. I gotcha. um, has now kind of taken that role. But in the immediate family, yes, I would most likely be mm-hmm. Wow. between my father and my brother and I. Yes.
0: So tell me, let's start with your grandmother. Tell me more about the life of your grandmother. What did you call her? Granny. Granny. Okay, yeah. (laughs) Everybody's got a different term, you know, whether it's Memaw or Nana or Granny or Grandma. So she was Granny to you. Tell me more about Granny.
1: Oh, I love my Granny. If Southern Living Magazine had a model or a role model that they used to create the magazine on, it would have been my grandmother. She was so artistic and she did crafts and she was a seamstress and she would just take anything and make it look wonderful so for example with her being a seamstress by trade she then would sew beautiful clothes for us you know that were better than anything you could buy on the racks at the store and we were just so blessed to have that um, she would pick up a paintbrush and I could pick one up beside her. And I promise you what hers looked like and what mine looked like was night and day. <laughs> she mm-hmm. was extremely talented artist. Um, the crafts that she would do that was she could just take something and dry an apple and, and make a beautiful doll out of it and use the apple as a face. Or she would, you know, crochet. And she was a quilter. She would quilt the most amazing quilts. Um, and she went to a senior citizen, um, group and they had a a group of women who would quilt. And I went one time with her and I said, Granny, are you going to take one of your quilts? And she was, oh no, honey. I, some of them down at the senior citizen group, uh, they have large sloppy stitches. No, 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 no one's touching my, my quilts. So Granny made sure that she had like perfection, you know, little, tight as stitches on her quilt. And and she took such pride in, in what she did and, and rightfully so. Um, such a humble lady. And you'd walk into her home and just feel so welcome. And she always had dessert baked. If you weren't there for a meal, you would at least have coffee and a dessert. And she had this um, antique table that we all would sit around and that was where all the memories came was at the table. And so it was a table that was Oak that had instead of four legs, it had a centerpiece uh, like a tree trunk and it would come down and it had uh, instead of just ending and being just in the center, it had four line claws. And it was just so unique. And after her passing, um, I found out that she wanted me to have that table. So I have that table now in my dining room, and we have all of our gatherings around that table to continue the tradition that she provided us.
0: That's awesome. And, And I think so many memories from years ago was surrounded you know or surrounding a table whereas today it's like surrounding a tv or a telephone you know that uh, nobody has those same type of memories so i'm certain that was a special time for you
1: yes and just making biscuits or making gingerbread boys and just having such quality time with her i would go up in the summer and i would stay a week and, you know, I thought it would be a lazy summer and we were up and doing garden work and picking blueberries and making pies or canning or, you know, but I learned so much from her and her work ethic. She just brought so much to the table and, you know, she was born in 1919, uh, married young and she, gradu- she graduated high school first, then married young and had four children and the most amazing thing is that two of her children turned 80 when she was still alive. And so she got to be with her children on their 80th birthday. How many people at 80 have their mother with them on their birthday?
0: Holy cow. That is amazing.
1: Yes. So, um, she was a Sunday school teacher and at her funeral people would talk about how they know God because of her Um, They learned God and learned Bible verses and turned to God because of her teaching. So that was wonderful to hear that she not only taught it, but I promise you, she lived it. She lived that lifestyle. And anytime we would go to her for advice, she would link back to the Bible, to a scripture, to inform us of how we should live.
0: Wow, that's great
1: yes yes she definitely did and i always say that barbara mandrell song you know i was country before country was cool uh that's kind of the theme song for granny because you know she would make not only myself dresses to wear but my dolls would have matching dresses well later american doll did that and you know, was so popular and they were, you know, a multimillion dollar um, company for doing that. Well, my granny was doing that way before it was popular, wow. um, you know, the organic gardening. Well, granny did that before she knew what it was. She just wanted to make sure she had um, fresh vegetables to eat and, and canned all summer long to make sure she could eat those vegetables that she worked so hard on in her garden all winter long. So, and the farm to table. Granny did that before that was popular as well. So I always like listening to that song because it it just makes me uh, laugh because Granny was that way before it was cool.
0: Yeah, for 102 um, to be that cool and that far ahead of her time, I don't know that I've ever been labeled as cool. (laughs) (laughs) But it sounds like she had it going on and she she knew uh, how to take care of her family for sure.
1: She did. She was... I'll talk about her marriage. Um, She was married for 56 years um, before my grandfather passed. And then she was a widow for, I want to say, 27 years. I may be off by a year or two, but uh, she was widowed for a very long time um, without him. And she, the strength that she showed and the independence that she had to show after being married for so long, And moving forward after his loss brought me such joy to see that she could heal, um, even though obviously it was so difficult for her, but to see her heal, to go into her hobbies, to go into her activities that she did, to lean on her family. And she lived alone for a very long time until the last nine years of her life. And then she moved to Virginia. Um, Well, she was raised in Southwest Virginia, but moved to Richmond, Virginia, where my mother and my aunt were Hmm. so they could care for her. Yes.
0: Yeah. That's, uh, that is a task for anyone. And I've spoken to a lot of caregivers and, uh, that is just, you have to have an amazing heart to be a caregiver to begin with. And, uh, You know, that's one thing, as we've talked about before, the tide kind of turns throughout life that, you know, you're born and then as you uh, progress through life, it's your kids that end up taking care of you, right?
1: Yes, yes. And both of them, both my mother and my aunt were so generous and humble, just like their mother, and they wanted to do what's right. But it was, it was an honor to them to care for her. You know, yes, it was difficult. Yes, there was times where they missed out on events with family to care for her. But at the end of the day, it was their dedication and their love and their loyalty that my grandmother taught them that they had for her and they wouldn't have had it any other way. Um, They wanted to care for her. That was their right. And they were very happy that they were able to do so. Hmm. Um, at her funeral, um, we heard several, several years prior of grandchildren carrying the casket for their grandmother. And I remember coming in after that funeral and I mentioned it to my, um, granny and I said, you know, that I would love to do that for you. What do you think about that? How do you feel? And she said, well, that would be fine. And she maybe didn't remember, even though she was cognitive all the way up until the day she passed. She never had dementia or Alzheimer's or anything. A great memory. I'm not sure she ever remembered that conversation, but I did. And I wanted to follow through. So at her funeral, I asked the other grandchildren, and we had great-grandchildren by this point, um, if the grandchildren wanted to carry her casket and be the pulp bears. And we were and all of us decided to do so and the grandchildren walked great grandchildren walked behind us which were our children walked behind us as we carried her casket of the generation of christians and people that she had given love to for us to carry that character that she provided us back to her and and we carried her casket so that was extremely special to us
0: yeah i think it's a, a... Very big honor. I I recall the first casket I ever carried was my great grandmother. Um, She had passed around at, I think, age 89. I was in the Navy at the time and was on home on leave, uh, or in in the area on leave, and um, I recall I had to call and get an extension, but you know, it it was just such a great honor, and I've carried several caskets at this point in my life, and I don't know. It's just um, just a true sign of honor for that person. So really neat that you could be a part of that.
1: Yes, I I agree. And I'm so glad I did that. I'm so glad I remembered that funeral I went to many years prior. And I'm glad I had that conversation with her as well. Um, I also, as well as other grandchildren, um, provided a eulogy of what they remembered uh, of their life with her. And we all gave, um, a eulogy and read that at her funeral as well. So I, for me, that was extremely special to provide people a little insight and a little funny stories and things of how I remembered her.
0: Do you recall anything that you shared that day?
1: I do, which is funny. Um, my, I told a story about when I was in middle school, I came to visit, uh, maybe middle school, maybe early high school. I wanted to have a rip in my jeans so bad. It was popular. And my mom said, I'm not buying ripped jeans. (laughs) I'm going to only buy, you know, your normal jeans. And if they rip naturally, that's okay. But we're not ripping them, taking scissors to them to make them look like that. And so I agreed. And so I was in a process of trying to make a hole in my knee. So I happened to be at my grandmother's granny's house that weekend. I was rubbing it against the carpet. I was trying everything to loosen up those, you know, my knee so it would rip and I could make it larger by pulling on it. I tried so hard. It finally happened. And I had this rip in my jeans. I just was elated that I was going to look like everyone else. This is Awesome. And my grandmother happened to see the jeans with the rip in them. And I did not know, but here she went as the seamstress that she is. (laughs) and tuck a patch and put it under it and sewed up my jeans that I had worked so hard to rip. (laughs) And she said, we do not go, because of course it's her generation. It was her age. It was, you know, you don't need ripped jeans. Why are you wearing ripped jeans? And she just thought it was something that had to be patched up. So she patched them up. And so we, we laugh about that. And we laughed about when I was in elementary and young, I got, uh, we had holidays there and I got this Cabbage Patch Kids stamp, just a stamp that stamped the pictures of Cabbage Patch Kids. And, of course, I knew better. But I thought it would be super cool because I was tired of stamping it on my books and my coloring books. So I stamped it on the back of her wooden door. Um, <laughs> and till the day that they sold her house, that Cabbage Patch Kids stamp was still there um and i did get in big time trouble for that so every time i saw that it kind of made me giggle but also reminded me of the trouble that i got in because i put a stamp on granny's um wooden door
0: that's funny
1: yeah (laughs) um but yes i i had such a different grief process with granny because we had time to know that she was coming to the end of her life here and we got to see her full, I mean, to be in my 40s and see my grandmother, you know, see my children and see my niece and nephew, and to see that was, I felt at peace. I felt at peace with her death. I felt at peace that she wasn't suffering anymore and that she could be with my grandfather, um, Jack, again, you know, and reunite with him that she had wanted to be with for those 27 years that she was a widow. So it it was peace for me, for her, even though I missed her greatly and she was the matriarch and I miss her every day and I have memories of her all over my house of items I have from her home, but I know where she is and it, and I was just at peace with her life. Yeah.
0: How was that different? You know, you've got, um, you had the experience of a stillborn and then you had the experience of, a grandmother that lived for 102 years. How do you shore up the the distance or the difference there between um, very short, you know, time versus a very long time as far as the life of an individual?
1: I think for myself, with my daughter, um, Berkeley, I could not wrap my head around the thought that a mom had to bury a child. And it's just not chronological order. It shouldn't happen. The mom should go before the child. So I still struggle with that. I still struggle. And I pray to God that if I live to be 100, that my daughter is still alive because I would never want to see that. I never want to go through that again. Mm -hmm. I would like to go first. And for my grandmother, one blessing of many that God provided for her was that of her four children and her living as long as she lived, she never had to bury any of her children.
0: That is amazing for 102 years.
1: Yeah. And even though my mother passed two weeks later, my mom went after her. So she never had to to deal with the death of of her children. So... And for that is why I think I had more peace with my grandmother than I had peace with my daughter. I just still have difficulty wrapping my head around any child going before a parent. That's just a hard concept to, to think about.
0: Yeah, I've actually got um, a mother. I've had one mother speak about this, uh, the death of her son. And I have another mother and a sister of of a man that passed away. Uh coming on the next episode. But you're right, it you know, a parent should never have to bury their child. Like it just um it just doesn't make sense to us.
1: No, it doesn't. And you can imagine how we were still wheeling from Granny's death. Like I said, you know, she passed away on a Friday. The following week was her funeral. I wanted—I believe it was a Thursday. And then the following week, my mom dies on that Friday. Wow. Um, so we're still reeling from the funeral and processing and thinking about life without her, which was unbearable. And then my mom was very unexpected. Um, that week, she was um, back home. In Richmond, she um, started to get some doctor's appointments and some procedures and things done um, that she had lined up, and Monday was a colonoscopy, Wednesday was a COVID booster shot, and then Friday she passes away, and when she wasn't feeling good pretty much that entire week... um, the items that you have to take before um, a colonoscopy kind of make you sick to your stomach. She said that she kind of felt sick and nauseous that whole week kind of. And she ended up on Friday um, feeling worse, having difficulty when she stood up, um, pain in her right leg. She contacted the doctor and when the doctor contacted her back, he did want her to come into the ER to be checked. And in the hospital system that they were at they have specialty hospitals so he sent her originally to the stroke hospital and when she went uh, to the stroke hospital they of course are going to check heart as well and they noticed that she had two arteries uh, that were blocked and they did inform my father who was there uh, my brother and i were in tennessee and live in tennessee and informed him that it was blocked and she was not in a heart attack, but they could transport her to the heart hospital and do that procedure tonight and go ahead and make sure that she doesn't have a heart attack. Mm -hmm. And of course, my mom was setting up. She was, you know, cognitive obviously. And she was telling them that was fine. They put her in the ambulance. Um, She's asking my dad when um, to go home and get a few items for her and then to come back to the hospital. And she would most likely be in surgery at that point. Um, in the ambulance ride after my father was talking to her and the doors shut and he went home to get a few of her personal items, um, my mother did not make it to the next hospital. Um, she apparently went into cardiac arrest um, and they the ambulance, um, caregivers, as well as the hospital when they arrived, um, worked on my mother and tried everything possible. Um, But it was just her time, even Mm -hmm. though that's hard to wrap my head around. But God's timing is different than my timing, even though I would have loved to have her. Um, But uh, God decided to take her that day. And so it left us in utter shock, as you can imagine.
0: Yeah, yeah, and, you know, you always hear that that saying that deaths come in threes, and, you know, I don't think that's necessarily true, but here you've had, you know, your grandmother, your mother in two weeks. Like, were you anticipating anything more at that point?
1: Yes, (laughs) and three did happen. Um, My Mm. parents' dog uh, I want to say he was 16 years old, Chocolate Lab, Toby, uh, such a great dog. Um, w- while we were at the viewing at in Southwest Virginia with my grandmother, they had their dog here in Tennessee, and my mom was dealing with the death of her mom, and my dad was with us at the house with the dog, and uh, the dog started to take a decline. And my dad had to make the decision to put their dog of 16 years down right after my grandmother passed.
0: Wow. Wow.
1: So my dad went from a house of his wife of 49 years, uh, his house every other week with his mother-in-law living there. And the week that she wasn't, she was with my aunt To and his dog of 16 years to a silent home when he returned.
0: Hmm. You know, that, that's a really great place to pause for just a moment. And, you know, there, I, I've actually seen um, continuing education classes for therapists on pet loss. And a lot of times I think the loss of a pet is very much discounted by others um, because the pet wasn't human and and i don't think that's fair you know there's especially you know like you said 16 years with an animal and animals have personalities just like humans um they may not be able to verbalize certain things and there's certain aspects of life that is just different with an animal but i feel like um the loss of an animal can be as devastating as the loss of a human and like you stated here is now an empty home um i can't imagine
1: i i can't either um but we of course got to him immediately and i went into and this is part of my grieving process that i had to look back on now it's been two years i went into protection mode protect my daddy, make the plans, do things so he didn't have to, you know, I was calling the funeral homes. I was picking the caskets. I was making the plans because for me, I wanted to ensure the one parent I had left was fully protected, you know, mm-hmm. and, and take away any of the pain that I could potentially take away. Cause he was already dealing with more pain than he could probably want to bear. And in the, during this process, before mom passed, we were all planning what we were going to do for their 50th anniversary. And we were planning a trip. We had not got to the point where we were going yet or made um, actual plans and purchased tickets, but we were talking about how we were going to celebrate their love of 50 years. And so I went into protection mode when I very first heard heard, the news my brother contacted me and then later my dad Um, but I had heard she was going to the hospital to have the procedure was the last I heard and my family and I were going to Disney for fall break and I already had suitcases out and I had our Disney shirts and our little funny ear headbands and everything in the suitcases and we were leaving red-eyed that next morning. And I look at my family, my husband and my daughter, and I say, you know, if I get to Disney and I'm on a plane, because this is in 2021, during the COVID time, they will not allow me in the hospital or to care for my mom afterwards with her procedure, her surgery. And so we agreed as a family, we were going to change our uh, suitcases and we were going to Richmond to help care for my mother and we were canceling disney and my daughter was extremely fine with it and her words were family comes first hmm. and so my husband was at his computer dealing with canceling um flights and and everything and and tickets And so I decided that I was going to start changing the suitcases. And I remember being in my bedroom and getting the call from my brother and I was expecting an update on the surgery and he informed me she had passed. And I just remember screaming at the top of my lungs because I was not prepared for that. That was not, I am a type A, as I mentioned in the last episode, you know, person who likes structure, who likes plans. And I had a game plan. She was having the procedure, but I was going to be there. I was going to help her through this. This was not part of the game plan, obviously. And so I started just screaming at the top of my lungs. No, 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 no. Um, And so my husband at this point is either hearing me or my daughter went to go get him or both. And he comes to me, I can't, form a sentence to inform him what happened but he sees me screaming he sees the phone on the floor and I drop to my knees like I just can't handle that feeling it was the worst feeling you hear is the person who created you the person who made you is no longer here Mm. how to deal with that how to wrap your head around the person that you loved so much and was my best friend and spoke to five to six times a day, minimum. <laughs> she would sometimes say, Marsha. Now, Marsha, I, I am retired, but I have things to do <laughs> because I would call so much. Um But I would check on her and she would also get on to me when I couldn't reach her. I would call every phone number I had for her. And so I would have her running all over the house (laughs) with phones because I was getting in touch with my mother. And so this person who I leaned to, as an adult to help me with decisions on my child and things to do and when i'd come across things in life or at work i would run them past my mom like that person is gone now and i remember feeling this anxious just overwhelming nervousness and i just started running through the house i just started running and i i was in a circle And I would stop and I would say something because my husband was in the den and I would say something to him and then I would just run again and I could not get this horrible feeling. I could not shake it and I had never felt it before. Not with my grandmother, not with Berkeley because with my daughter, I was fighting for her. I wasn't worried about losing my life, which was at danger. I was worried about her. So my focus was on her. And I did not have a lot of time with her. I had to say hello and goodbye in the same day, so I did. I've never had that feeling before. And if you've ever seen the movie *Still McNoyas, when Sally Fields is um, playing the mother role to Julia Roberts, and Julia Roberts um, deceases, and she's in the um, at the funeral she's crying afterwards and then she just stops and she just kind of goes, I can't do this. I've got to be strong. Um, I felt like I, I did that. I stopped immediately and it hit me. I said, where is my dad? Who's got my dad? You know, like he's a toddler. Where's my dad? Who's got dad. And so I just got on the phone and I started making plans cause I'm six hours away. You know, who's got, who's taking care of my father. And in the meantime, my dad, of course, is dealing with the hospital, dealing with if he's going to see my mother or not, dealing with the social worker coming in and asking, you know, certain questions. And so in the meantime, my father just decides to leave and go to my aunt's house. At this point, my aunt has been informed by my brother that my mom is not there. She's alone. And so... My dad is trying to get to her as well. And I finally get to my, my dad on the phone and I said, where are you? He said, I'm driving to Joyce's home. And I said, when you get there, and this is the protective mode kicking in, I said, I can't lose another parent. You have to stay put. It is probably 10 o'clock at night at this point. It is dark. You just found out the love of your life is passed. I'm thinking to myself, we can't, you can't be driving, you know? So all I could communicate was you get choices and you stay put. (laughs) You do not leave her home, (laughs) you know, acting like I'm the parent at this point. But I was so scared and so nervous for him after losing my mother that I needed him to be safe. So I could then start to grieve my mother once we get to Richmond I did make the plans as I said earlier and so many people would commend me. Oh, you're a leader. Oh, you stepped up to the plate. You did so wonderful. But what they don't realize, you know, putting my therapy cap on, I'm sure you're realizing this is that's a trauma response. Right. My body knew what to do. My body does well when it is, you know, in crisis mode That's where I strive. You put me in a situation where I lose my pen off my desk. I'm going to go, where's my pen? (laughs) You know, but in a crisis situation, I'm in control. I take control. I'm a leader. That is a trauma response. Um, But what we do know is it gets you through that moment. And it got me through that moment. Hmm. Uh, But I would love to talk about, um, some wonderful funny experiences and things about my mom as well as I did about my granny.
0: Yes, please.
1: Oh yes. Um, as I said, it was my best friend, but growing up, my mom was just so far advanced and she ended up raising two therapists. Um, and my brother ended up marrying a therapist. So we have a lot of therapy and a lot of therapists in the, um, in the family. However, um, my sister-in-law uh, is a school counselor. Uh, my brother went back and got another master's degree, and he is a speech pathologist now and practices that. Um, but for myself, I'm still in um, psychotherapy. But I, I say that's due to her. My father was an engineer, so I say it was my mother that taught us, you know, those feelings, those emotions, those to come in contact with who we were and she was just such a caregiving mom you know both my parents were invested and they had intentions like they showed up at all of our events they made sure that they put us first they were so selfless you know my brother was you know sports and you know, travel ball, and you know, these viewers that are listening. You know, the commitment that that takes. I did sports, I did, you know, different seasons, different sports, and we were always on the go. But my mom would work, come to the ball games in her scrubs. she worked in the dental field, she, you know, made sure that we were taken care of first and foremost. She, her activities. Her hobbies was raising us, that was it. She dedicated her life to us. And I would come home from school and on Fridays, she didn't work. And I remember coming in, she always had cookies or brownies or cake cooking. And I just remember that fresh smell of clean house because she and my grandmother were clean as pens. I, you could eat off their floors. And my I think it was daily, my mother would mop the floor. Um, to make sure the floor, kitchen floor was clean. And I just remember in second grade, I think it was, they asked what our home smelled like. And everyone would say, you know, potpourri or, you know, the smell of the dinner that night or a candle. And they got to me and I said, bleach. Because that's what our house smelled like. My mother was clean. She used bleach. She made sure those germs were were gone. We used antibacterial gel before it was popular, you know, um, <laughs> because she worked in the medical field. And so I just remember, you know, her taking care of us in all avenues. You know, we'd come home. And she'd have scavenger hunts for us and we'd, you know, read little signs and run through the house and try to find a little gift that she purchased us during the day while we were at school. She just was so intentional on her time that she spent with us and she made sure that she balanced her career and her children. And that's why I feel that I'm the mother I am is because of her and the mother she had. So those are why those two ladies are so important to me, my granny and my mom, because, you know, if it wasn't for my grandmother being an amazing mom, you know, my mom didn't have to learn on her own. She learned through her and I got to learn through my mother. So
0: that's great. Let me ask you a few questions here that I have. Um, Like, are there any milestones or any life events that you wish your mother and grandmother could have been a part of at this point? I know you're a couple of years removed at this point. Um, Have they missed anything in your life that you wish they were there for?
1: There are all kinds of smaller events that have come up that I would think, oh, my mom would be here. Um, My grandmother would have been in her earlier years, but uh, her later years, she did not travel as well. So we started to have, get used to certain events without my grandmother. Um, And if, if my mother was with us, then my grandmother was with my aunt. So with that said, we were getting used to certain events and holidays without my grandmother, Mm. but with my mother you know, she was at all events. And so these events that um, come up with my daughter's school or play or her fifth grade graduation or things like that is just devastating because I know my mother would be there. Um, Holidays. My mom made holidays and birthdays so special. And she just went out of her way to ensure that we had a special day. And so... Holidays are hard, especially Halloween and Christmas being her favorite. Um, And so one of the healing pieces that we did um, was we took clothes, both from my grandmother and my mom, and we made quilts um, so we could have have a quilt of their clothes. And I took pictures from family and the outfit that my mother would have on in a picture with them. I I blew the picture up to a five by seven, and then tucked those clothes that she wore in that picture, and I made a stocking out of it. So they have the picture of her wearing those clothes, and now they have a special Christmas stocking.
0: Very nice.
1: Yeah, and then I tucked my granny, my mom's um, outfits, and made a Christmas um, tree skirt um so that they and I did not make that I would say I paid someone to make them (laughs) Uh, you would not want to see what I could do uh with sewing it would probably be like the senior citizens of the big loops that would look sloppy um but they did a, a fantastic job so I I did that and then I did look ahead at my niece who will be graduating this year my mom will miss her first grandchild graduating high school and going to college and so I started um, with their clothes, a baby quilt, a small little baby quilt, mm-hmm. and they can utilize it in pictures when they graduate, pictures when they, you know, complete college, when they get married, when they have their children. And so that would be special to continue my mom and my grandmother um, through the generations being celebrated as well.
0: So here's the million dollar question for you. And, and I think it's one that's, uh, that needs to be explored. How were people there for you differently, like with the death of your daughter versus the death of your grandmother and mother?
1: That's a fantastic question. Um, I, uh, as you know, um, as I spoke about with Berkeley, I did not allow people in. So I wanted to do it different. Um, and when I say I didn't let people in, it was probably 20 people or so, give or take that, that knew, and I wore them out talking about Berkeley because I didn't talk about it to anyone else. So I decided through my growth and through the years and leaning into my own maturity that I needed to trust and be vulnerable. That word we spoke about earlier, mm-hmm. transparent. And so I was open and there were so many people that were so special to me and came through for me and just went out of their way for me. And I am just so blessed and humbled by the fact that they would drop everything for me, come spend time with me. Um, My best friend, Melissa, um, I met her in middle school (laughs) um, after a time in her life when she lost her father um, in elementary school. I met her after she lost her father and we just clicked and hit it off. And so years and years later, you know, I make a phone call to her to let her know my mom's past. And she made it happen. She gets to my parents' house. She's cooking us dinner. She's spending time with my daughter. She's giving me, because I haven't been in that area in a long time, where I needed to go, what I needed to do, where a flower shop, what you know, things of that nature And then she took off of work and made sure that she was here in Tennessee where my mother was buried to be there. And she was one that carried my mom's casket with my brother and I and my cousins and some other individuals to make sure we showed my mom that respect. And my mom was like a mother to her. And so I had wonderful people that stepped up to the plate. You know, a dear friend, Sharina, a friend, Amy, uh, that stood beside me at the casket at a viewing She knows pain and she stood there with me and she just silently stood there knowing I needed her just to be there when people were coming and giving their condolences. So she just stood beside me and occasionally would put her hand on my shoulder or my back. And that meant the world to me. Hmm. Um, And Sharina came to the house and spent time with me. These people are so valuable to me and family friends. They would come and they cooked and they just went to the extreme to take care of us. Neighbors of my father did phenomenal, just feeding us and taking care of us. But then you are hurt and let down by some, you know, that Mm -hmm. you, you expect, gosh, they're going to step up to the plate if I ever need them. And they didn't, they kind of was like, womp, 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 like Mm -hmm. where, what happened, you know? And to me, it took a lot Wrap my head around why someone would not want to be there, and then I put my therapy cap on, and I realized that there's a lot of reasons why people run. You know, it may be awkwardness and not knowing what to do, it may be the fact that they never had a close connection, so they don't understand this pain, it may be that they haven't had a loss like this to know the pain because the ones that did show up were the ones that knew pain, they knew it. Um, So, I'm not sure. But it does hurt. And that's where I talked about at the end of last podcast of we have people and things that take up space in our mind and to declutter our mind is also putting people first and making a priority of the people that would drop everything for you are the ones that you drop for them and you make sure you're there for them as well. If that person is not someone that you would call, if that person is not someone that's a priority to you and makes you a priority, then they need to be a filler. They don't need to be in your priority list. Mm -hmm. Life is too short to spend time with fillers. And so I have just grown as a person. My network is smaller, um, but the quality is higher, not quantity. I went for quality.
0: Mm, That's really good. One thing I want to ask you. This will probably be my last question before we start uh, sewing this up here. But I know a lot of people probably look at therapists as only being book smart. You know, we've went through a lot of schooling. We we did you know postgraduate work. We've taken three exams to get where we're at, and then we've got all this continuing education. But tell me how these three losses in your life have made you see uh, what you do in your work differently?
1: That's a fantastic question. And I truly feel I can be empathetic and sympathetic to my clients because I have climbed some Mount Everest of emotions in my life. Mm -hmm. It may be different than what they are dealing with, But when you climb that climb alone or with individuals or let down by individuals, you know the pain. It may be translated differently to them, but you know pain. And to know that allows you no judgment. It allows you to know that they're coming to you and you're going to provide them that person that you would hope would be there for you when you were in that time and the resources and the ability for them to feel comfortable to share and have that vulnerability to open up and say i trust my therapist enough to do this and you have to be clinically bonded to them and respect them and yes they might respect us from the sense of our book intelligence as you were saying but i think they need to respect us as a human being they need to respect that we have the characteristics of kindness and we're not, we're going to listen to them and be patient.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Marsha, it's been fun again, as, as much as you can say, fun talking about grief, but it's been a pleasure. I'll state that. And I want to give you the opportunity yet again. Um, if there's anything that you think we've missed on this podcast, anything that, uh, you want listeners to know um, whether it's about grief or about your situation. I'm just going to give you the floor and, and let you kind of close us out here.
1: Well, thank you so much. Um, one thing I would like people to think about, and of course I'm putting my you know, therapy cap on. It's hard sometimes. Um, but I think if we could, and this sounds morbid, but, but stick with me. If we could write a eulogy about ourselves. And maybe about the self we want to be, the person we want to be, the person we want to be remembered, and what that is to us. If we write that, not about our careers and our academics or anything of that nature, our character, writing about our character, and then every day looking at that and saying, what am I doing today? for people to feel this way that I want them to feel about me.
0: Yeah. It's kind of of, just
1: keeps us in check.
0: Right. It's, it's kind of like a reversed engineering type thing, right? That this is who I want to be when it's all said and done. How do I make that as my goal and then kind of work backwards to today, you know, and, and people may be far removed from the person they want to be. I, I think I certainly am. Um, But if we know who we want to be and just kind of work our way back to today, and like you stated, you know, when your head hits the pillow tonight, did I do one thing that kind of pushes me towards that goal? I think that's great. I I don't think it's morbid at all to write um, a eulogy for yourself. In fact, I remember uh, my older sister doing that in high school. And back then, I was several years younger than her and I did think it was morbid back then, like, you know, you're, um, ninth, 10th grade in high school. And it's like, why would I want to think about my death? I'm, I'm immortal. Right. That's what, what we thought back then. Um, but now as, as we hit that kind of midlife marker, we find that we're not as far off as we think, you know, that, that, um, you know, you, you've seen again, death at, Many years out with your grandmother, but you know seventy seven for your mom that's uh in my eyes that's not very old anymore you know that's uh people do live a lot longer than they used to if they're living the proper way, you know, not doing drugs or you know heavy drinking or anything like that you know you you do have a good chance at living a much longer life now, but with your mom, she was taken at 77, but, uh, you know, the older I get, um, I guess the more I appreciate the life I have lived, but also, um, I I look at, okay, if I have blank amount of years left, like how do I make them count? And I think that's the big thing, you know, every day, ask yourself, did I make today count? You know, there's many nights I go to bed and it's like, Well, that was a waste of a day. I didn't do anything productive. But sometimes just resting can be productive, right?
1: (laughs) hundred percent. We got to care for ourselves first.
0: Yeah. Any other thoughts that you have?
1: I do. I'm thinking, should we have your viewers bring in questions for therapists?
0: Yeah, that's a a phenomenal... I, I may have you... Uh, come back on and we'll answer those together. If, if people want to send in um, emails, you know, again, grief observed podcast at gmail.com. I think it's a fan, fantastic idea. I, I appreciate you bringing, bringing that up. Um,
1: I'll come back on. I was thinking you could answer them, but you know, two heads are better than one and two therapists, we can answer these questions from different perspectives and different viewpoints it was your
0: idea i'm not letting you get out of it so
1: (laughs) (laughs) yes i'll come back yeah but uh yeah bring any questions i mean some people may want to know what um the stages are and if we still utilize the stages and and questions like that so and what would be normal what would be outside of the norm and when they should start to be concerned you know these are questions that they may have
0: yeah i i plan on um Probably shortly after your podcast I'd planned on doing kind of a surviving the holidays edition and uh it it probably will just be me speaking about the holidays and and exactly that just how to survive um, but I think this questions episode would be a fantastic thing for us to do and and like I stated I will bring you on I appreciate your knowledge as a therapist I appreciate your your friendship and, and just be willing to come on here on the podcast. And again, using your word, being vulnerable and just being able to let down your guard a bit or let people behind that curtain and see that, you know, just because you're a therapist doesn't mean that you have everything figured out, um, that you hurt just like the next person. And, uh, I don't know. It's been just another pleasurable, uh, podcast with you, Marsha. I appreciate it
1: thank you so much and if anyone needs to contact me please provide my information and reach out to me and i'd be glad to answer any questions anyone has
0: yeah i, I will definitely uh drop that in the show notes again and uh so if you have uh connected with Marsha on this podcast or even uh, episode 10 please reach out to her i'll have her email in the show description um Again, I, I hope you were blessed by this episode, and I hope you keep tuning in for more stories. Um, I, I love hearing people's stories, even though it's it's hard topics, um, but it is real, and and I think it's necessary that we find other people to connect with, because going through grief, we feel like that we are alone. But uh, I hope everybody is well in your life, and I hope that uh, you do appreciate the upcoming holidays with your family, and uh, don't don't ever take anything for granted. Just like uh, in Marsha's story, two weeks after her grandmother passed, uh, her mother passed. Don't don't take time for granted with your family. Again, thanks for joining us here on the Grief Observed podcast, and I hope you were blessed.